The church sounds the church sounds awesome. That's a song you just want to keep going. I'm starting to get it. <laughs> and he's <laughs> it's kind of that, you know, it's it's that's it's very awesome. I do want to give some welcomes to friends and family that are visiting. We have Elizabeth from Brisbane. She's here somewhere if she could stand up. Oh, there you are. Morning. And we also have Connor our, from the Seattle Church. Go ahead and stand up, bro. This, this is what somebody else said. This isn't what I said, but someone said that Elijah Wood was here this morning. But it was just the brothers. They said, uh, it's not really Elijah Wood, in case you were wondering. It's Connor from, from America. And also, Jane's daughter is here visiting as well. Jordan, there you are. Good to have you here. That's great. So this is the last Sunday that I'll be here for a little while. I travel to the U.S. on Tuesday and spend some time with my family before I rendezvous with Megan in the U.S. And then we go to Panama for our International Leader Conference for about a week. So please pray for that as well. That'll be a great time for us to get encouraged and get wisdom from leaders from all over the world. So we'd, we'd appreciate your prayers. And then we come back and then we'll see everybody at the SPA Conference in Sydney, which will be awesome as well. And then we'll finally end up back in Auckland. And that'll all be good. You probably didn't recognize me, by the way, this morning because I'm wearing my glasses. And when you wear glasses, people start to really tell you what they think about you. They say things like, you look so much smarter. You look so much cooler. But I'm really just trying to keep people on their toes and make sure because you never know. Am I going to wear glasses? Am I not? You never know. You never know what's going to happen. But I I do have uh, my glasses on and I'm ready to start preaching the word. So, oh snap, that's right. Turn over to Acts 16, let's pray, and then we'll dive in for three points from the book of Acts. God, we are grateful to worship you. We're grateful for your spirit, which guides us and helps us understand Jesus more deeply. We pray that 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 occurs as we read these scriptures, that it does activate our minds, your spirit, and that as individuals and as a collective church, we're able to really grasp what you would have said to us and that we can practice it in our everyday lives. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's start reading in verse 1 and read a few verses. While I'm away, we'll have some of the brothers preach. John Salute will preach. That'll be awesome. Scott Cushman will preach the word. And then our brother Tyson will preach at one of the midweeks. That's right. All these brothers are preaching the word. Verse 1, Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewish, whose mother was Jewish, and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. And I just feel like when you wear glasses, you have to do things like push them up every once in a while and, you know, kind of move them around to make you look like you know what you're talking about. In verse 2, the believers at Lystra, and I Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decision reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew daily in their numbers. There's a connection there to where people mature in their faith because they're traveling around, encouraging, and teaching. And when people are strengthened and mature in their faith, what happens as a result? The church grows. And that's a very positive thing. In verse 6, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, This just sounds funny. Uh, But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them. 
So they passed Domitia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. The next day, we went on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony in the leading city of that district of Macedonia. We stayed there several days. There's all these names and cities and travel routes, and Luke knows his stuff. So one of, one of the things about the book of Luke and the book of Acts, who's the author of both, is there's so much historical accuracy in here. And you find that every place he mentions is real. All these details are, all details are real, and they're historically based on what really happened. In verse 13, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down, began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. (laughs) A purple cloth dealer. She was a worshiper of God, When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us into her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. And we'll stop there and look at these three things. And this is Paul's secondary missionary journey where he takes a few companions, travels around, plants more churches, and people are encouraged as the faith keeps spreading. This comes also on the heels of chapter 15, which is the council in Jerusalem. They come together, they decide Gentiles don't need to be circumcised or obey the law to achieve salvation. And that message gets spread throughout the regions and all the churches. Right after that, Paul and Barnabas part ways and go and plant churches in different regions. This is Paul's journey where he picks up Silas, Timothy, and also Luke. Let's look at three things this morning that we can learn from this text and apply to our spiritual lives. The firstly is you got to lower yourself for a purpose that's higher. Lower yourself for a higher purpose. If you look at these first few verses, chapter 16, verse 1 through 5, For Timothy to allow himself to be circumcised without being compelled to had to have been for some higher purpose. There's really no necessity in this circumcision. And they go back to Lystra. If you remember a few chapters earlier, that's where Paul was stoned and left for dead. So he comes back to that place and he finds this guy, Timothy. And so what's interesting about this is chapter 15 is all about what? Do they need to be circumcised or do they not need to be circumcised? Right? And so they say no. And then they go and spread that word around the region. You don't need to be circumcised if you're a Gentile. Chapter 16, Paul finds Timothy and he circumcises him. Okay, well, what in the world is going on here? And then in Galatians, when Paul has Titus and there's this controversy again about circumcision. And they say you need to get circumcised. You need to circumcise your boy Titus. And he says... No, I'm not going to circumcise him. So, like, what is going on? Is Paul, like, wavering on his convictions? But, or is there something more to it? Because he, he doesn't force Titus to get circumcised, but he makes Timothy get circumcised. So, what, what's going on here? And if you look at this, in the council in, first, in, in chapter 15, it applies only to Gentiles, first of all. That, that's important to know, right? Because the council says Gentiles don't need to be circumcised. Titus is a Gentile. Timothy is a Jew. That's what verse 1 says. His mother's Jewish and he has a Jewish heritage. He's already a disciple. That's what 
Verse 1 says, he's a believer, but his father's a He's already saved. He's already a Christian. He's already good. And guess what? He's not circumcised, but he is Jewish. So Luke really tells us very plainly why this happens in verse 3. Why? Because the Jews who lived in that area knew his father was a Greek. Why is that important? Paul is taking this guy into Jewish territory Everybody knows he's Jewish, and everybody knows he's not circumcised. So for them, they hear that there's an automatic door, there's an automatic wall that goes up, says, we don't want to listen to you, you're not circumcised. That's how that works in this culture. So Paul says, there's not going to be any obstacle to prevent the spreading of the gospel. You need to be circumcised. And Timothy doesn't refute it. He just simply allows it to happen. So he must have agreed with this principle, even though it wasn't compulsory, even though it didn't mean salvation. And this is a big deal right here, right? If that's you, you'd be like, bro, we got to find another way around this, right? But that's what's going on here. And, and, but it, he, Timothy was able to lower himself for a higher purpose and allow this to take place. You know, the greatest example of this, of course, is Jesus Christ. Lowering, him, lowering himself, God leaving heaven, wrapping himself in flesh, and living as a human being, restricted to skin and bones for 30-some years in order for us to be saved. That's what Philippians 2 is all about. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ. He made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant. In the next passage, if you reflect on this, this, this is just mind-blowing. He humbles himself to death. Not like I'm starving to death, but Jesus' authority supersedes death, but he yields and is obedient to it. He lowers himself underneath the rule of death in order to be raised up, in order that we can all have salvation. That's lowering himself for a purpose that's higher. That's the way Paul thought. He thinks, if I go into this area, I'm not going to let any obstacle prevent the spreading of the gospel. Yeah. You need to get circumcised. Let's go. That, that's crazy, okay? But there's something about it where they understand the bigger picture. Hey, amen. If, if that's what it takes for someone to hear the gospel, that's what I'll do. That's what I'll do. And I think there's obvious applications to our outreach, because that's what's going on here in this passage. They're traveling around trying to preach the gospel. And, but I think but before we even talk about what it means, the first thing is you have to be on the mission. Because when, we often hear this phrase, you've got to become all things to all men. And, and people say, well, what does that mean to me? And how does that apply to me? And what do I need to do? Well, the, you, first of all, you need to be on the mission. That's first of all. <laughs> Does that make sense, right? Because I think there's this idea that, well, but let me figure this out. Well, first of all, start reaching out to people. And then, then you'll see what prevents people from accepting your message. And then you'll find out when you start to engage with people, then you'll find out, oh, there's something about me. Because the truth is, we all have these judgments of people, right? When you see somebody, you make snap judgments. We all do this, okay? It's human nature, and you're either going to listen to someone or not listen to someone based on the first few seconds of your interacting with them. That's just how it goes. And if we're honest with ourselves, that's, and we can be listening to people and say, uh-huh, yeah, sure, in our mind, but the reality is we're really not listening. That's why I wore these glasses this morning, so you guys be listening to what I'm saying. <laughs> But, but the question is, what length are you or I or us willing to go to to have someone understand the gospel? 
Now, this is, this is a concept I rebelled and refused against in my early Christian life. Because I wanted, you know, I wanted to help people understand the gospel, but I was very narrow-minded, and I could only reach a very small amount of people. And people used to say, you got to stop being so this, and you got to stop being so that, and you got to change the way you look. And Megan saying, amen, because she was part of that crowd, saying, are you going to talk slang forever? <laughs> and I said, what if I do talk slang forever? And by the way, the slang I use today is like artifacts today. Like, nobody knows what I'm saying, but I hear the kids talk slang. Now, I don't even know what they're talking about. I hear, you know, I, I don't even know how it goes, but there was this mindset. I want to be true to who I am, and I want to dress to be true who I am, and, but I wasn't really reaching anybody that way. You know, and, and, and so as, as you mature and as you age throughout your life, there are different things about our characters that, that become obstacles for people. And if, if, we, if we're not willing to lower ourselves to become more effective, we have to understand there's an actual higher purpose involved. It's not just about you. It's actually wild to know that the reason he was circumcised is because of the way other people thought about Timothy. That was his whole rationale. Because you say, I don't care what people think about me. Well, you should. Because it could be an obstacle for them to understand the gospel. Now, I'm not talking about violating your conscience because you hear, okay, well, the other end of the spectrum is, well, let me go to the strip club and reach out to the strippers. Let me go to the gambling hall or whatever you call it and start to gamble. And let me go to the bar and reach out to all the drunks and let me just live it up and become, no, it's ridiculous. That's violating your conscience because you clearly know all those things are wrong, right? But it might mean you, you, you need to learn another language, I mean, people that go to these foreign countries as missionaries and take on another language, that's, that's incredible. And people that move here with, with different varieties of language and learn English language, that's incredible. But may, maybe that's something, I don't know what it is for you, but there's, all, there's something in all of us that at some point is going to prevent people from hearing what we say because of the way we look, the way we dress, the way we sound, or some reason. And if we understand this higher purpose, it allows us to say, I'm willing to lower myself so that somebody could understand the gospel. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you lower yourself so somebody could understand the gospel? But, but this concept of lowering ourselves also happens in our relationships with one another. Not just in our outreach, but in our relationships with you and me and us as a church. Because Paul talks a lot about this in Corinth and Rome, where he says, you've got to love each other. That's kind of the highest purpose. No matter what you think you know or what you don't know and how strong you are and how weak you are, the higher purpose is love. So you got to do that. And then he talks about the same thing in Corinth where he says you got to build each other up. Whatever's best for the body, that's what's best for the body. It's not just about you. I think that as I've aged, and perhaps you may find this as well as if you've aged as a Christian, or if you aged, as you aged as a Christian, there's a potential to create some kind of spiritual platform you know, in Luke 18, the Pharisee prays and the tax collector prays. And the Pharisee says this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Those robbers, those evildoers, those adulterers, or even like this stinking tax collector down here. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Now, we may not get up and say a prayer like that in the morning, but I found that what we do becomes some kind of platform to say, I read my Bible every day. How about you? Oh, you don't? Oh, I'm glad I'm not like you. I pray every day. I share my faith every day. I serve whatever. You understand what we're saying? We, we create these platforms, and then we say the platform is what's important. But it's not. It's really not. And there's a danger of overestimating our performance in the fellowship 
that allows us to look down on other people. That's not right. We've got to lower ourselves for the higher priority of love and unity. Stop pretending you have it all together. You don't. The very things you see that you, you kind of grumble and, and see in other people, they're probably in your life too. In fact, I'm sure they are. They may not be as evident, but they're there. So we have to lower ourselves for the purpose of love and outreach in our relationships. We all got to take the posture of humility. Amen? Secondly, discerning the will of God. This is a great illustration of the Trinity here in verse 6. It says they were kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word. Then if you look at verse 7, then the spirit of Jesus wouldn't allow them to go into a certain area. That's what verse 7 says. And in verse 10, they concluded that God, so you got Jesus, spirit of Jesus, Holy Spirit and God. This is, this is, this, this is straight Trinitarian theology right here. All right. This is where it comes from. And, and so there is this kind of cooperative effort on the Godhead move, moving these missionaries around to be at the right place at the right time. And you've all said this phrase, or you've probably heard it said before, I just want to find out God's will. I just want to do God's will. Right? You said that, right? And you've heard that said, right? And, and so here's what is trying to be discerned here. What is God's will? Because they're traveling during this missionary journey through this area. You see this area, right? So in the far right, that's Syria. They'll start from Antioch, and then the purple is Cilicia. So they'll travel through there until they get to the uh, left, which is Asia. And then it says that while they're, they're, they're trying to go through Asia, the Spirit doesn't allow them to preach the Word. In verse 6. First of all, that's just a wild thing in general. I want to preach the word. And the Spirit says, no, you're not preaching the word. I'm like, what? I want to preach the word. What's, what's the deal with that? And so they try to go to, they try to go to Bithynia, which is the green upper region of that, Bithynia and Pontus. And so they try to go up there, and it says they can't go in there. And then they go down to Troas. And then while Paul is in Troas, he has this vision of a man calling, saying, come over and help us. Come over and help us. And then they go over to Macedonia, and then they start planting churches all the way down through that region. And so that's a lot of traveling to have doors shut. Think about that. Man, I want to go all the way here. They get over there, and it doesn't really say how it worked. Like there was a roadblock or an incident or who knows, like what's going on. But it became clear it's not going to work. And so... In their view, they said, man, I mean, these are, some of these places are sweet places. They're, they're important cities. They're Roman colonies. Some of these are port cities. And they think, man, if we're going to go anywhere, we're going to go here. And they go there, and Jesus says, nope, you're not going there. It may be a priority in your mind, but my priority is Macedonia for right now. And what's interesting about this is in verse 10, who sees the vision? After Paul had seen the vision, who concluded? We got ready at once, concluding God had called us to preach the gospel. And that, that's a very important fact, which we'll come to later. But if you've ever tried to make a decision spiritually in your life, you've encountered this, right? Well, what, what is God's will? What am I supposed to do? Can you give me a sign? Can you return to me in a vision? Can you make the traffic light turn green? Whatever it is. We all have this kind of thing. I don't know if you know about this, but, you know, in our youth, we had this magic eight ball. I'm not advocating this, by the way. But this was what we used to do. Like, hey, should I go to school today? Without a doubt. Okay, I should go to school today. Should I pursue this person? Uh, 
reply hazy. Try again later. That's the message that came up when I started to pursue Megan. I was like, should I pursue Megan tonight? It's a little bit hazy. Try again later. This didn't work that way. But, 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 we'll, but sometimes we do that spiritually, you know. Kind of let, let me discern God's will. I, I don't know. Let me shake the eight ball and see what happens. But there is a pattern here of how to discern God's will. To be clear, a lot of what God wants you and I to do is just in the Bible already. You know, we don't need a lot of discussion about should we love God with all of our heart? Should we love each other as our neighbors? That, that's all clear. Should we do these things? There, there's so much that's actually clear already. All right, so that, that's important. But on matters that aren't clear, it does, it does require a lot of prayer. Plus, what I find in this verse 10, Paul sees the vision, but everybody concludes it's the right thing. There's something to that. It's like Paul says, I, I, I know we've been going here and there and, and everywhere, and it's not working, but I had this vision to go into Macedonia with Luke, who says we. This is the first time it switches to the we, where Luke joins them on the missionary journey. So it's Paul has the vision, then Luke and Timothy and Silas all hear the vision. And they say, this sounds like the will of God. And in there is this principle of, hey, I got a great idea. What do you guys think? That's the will of God. You know, it's unanimous. It's clear. We proceed. And and I think that that there's this idea of discerning God's will. You read, you pray, but you get some advice. Right? I mean, there's there's no way you could discern God's will simply on your own. As I age as a disciple, and as we all age, I think that concept perhaps might get lost on us. Oh, I I can figure God's will out. I'll say a prayer. I'll shake the eight ball. It's all good. But you you don't need to get permission from people. That's not what we're talking about. But but Paul Paul runs this by his travel companions. Here's what I think God's trying to say. What do you guys think? That sounds great. If if you have something you're trying to figure out and you run your idea by by a a few of your spiritual mature peers and you get like, I don't know, bro. Then you might want to consider, well, what's the hesitation? Help me understand the hesitation, right? But if you get a unanimous kind of, that sounds good, amen. But the question is, are you willing to go with your will or God's will? Because that's what's happening in this passage. They're, They're able to discern God's will, first of all, because they're doing something. They're actually on, on the mission. Secondly, because Paul is able to get this advice. And third, there are, there are two times in the New Testament where it talks about God's will. Anybody know what they are? Give them $100. Gillen. What does it say? It says, And what's the other one? Romans 12. No. <laughs> test, say it again. Yeah, it, it says test and approve, but it doesn't say it is God's will to do fill in the blank. Richard. Yeah, it says be holy, but it doesn't say this is God's will, although it is God's will to be holy. <laughs> Gillen has one of them. Here they are. Up, up. No, I know you're Googling now. No, no fair. <laughs> Twice in the New Testament, it gives very clear instructions on what God's will is. One of them, both of them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. It is God's will you should be sanctified, you should avoid sexual immorality. What's that? 
<laughs> be holy. <laughs> it falls under there. <laughs> be holy. The second one, which Gillen referred to, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, here's, here's the thing about this. People that are curious about what is God's will, what is God's will, are you doing these two things? Because these are absolutely crystal clear. You want to find out God's will? How's your purity? You want to find out God's will? How's your gratitude? Because those, those are with crystal clarity, God's will. Be pure, be grateful. If you think, oh, I can't figure out God's will. No, he's not trying. Well, are you grateful? Are you pure? Those things are crystal clear, right? So the, the idea about this is don't wonder about all these vague things if you're not doing the clear things. But we, we all need to discern God's will with lots of prayer, lots of humility, and lots of advice. There are many times this happened in, in my own personal life. Uh, it, it took me seven years to finally win Megan's heart. And that was, I, uh, just to say, I did date a couple of other times during that process. I normally say Megan waited for me for seven years, but I want to set the record straight. That I did date a couple other times. And, but I tried, I tried, I tried, and I tried, and I tried, but I didn't find the Lord. You know, and it didn't work the first time. The door wasn't open. You may not know this, but before we moved to New Zealand, we actually got a job offer at another church in the spa region. We interviewed, we accepted the job, they gave us the job, and then somehow, the job was there no longer. <laughs> You know what I mean? I mean, and, 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 amen. God's will. God's will. I've been flat wrestling in prayer for the last few years because in, in, the, in the U.S., the, the campus university that we led was, was fruitful and met people that became Christians. And Man, I've studied the Bible, met so many people on this campus, and nothing happens. And now, the triumvirate of Gillen, Cress, and Moe come along, and there's some energy starting to come alive, and people start to become Christians, and I'm like, okay, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. That's God's will. It's not, I mean, I want to help and train and coach, but it's, it's, it's not all about me. And I think we got to understand pursuing God's will, it's not about you, it's about God's will, and there's always a bigger picture. Third and last, we have to have higher expectations. There's a lot of examples in this. Paul, first of all, if you know his strategy, where does he go first? In every city, he goes to the synagogue. And then where does he go next? Jail. <laughs> you know, but that's, that's what happens. In Philippi, Philippi is a Roman colony. That's what it says here. There's no synagogue because Jews aren't there. And if they are, they're kind of laxed. In their Judaism, you have to have 10 Jewish men to start a synagogue. Apparently, there's not enough Jewish men there, or there's not enough who could be bothered to start a synagogue. So there's no place to go for Paul and his crew when they get to Philippi. So instead of just saying, well, no synagogue here, let's go to another town, boys. In verse 13, they go to the city gate to the river where they expected to find a place of prayer. So, hey, no synagogue. We got to go somewhere. We're going to go, I have an expectation that I'm going to preach the word of God. I'm going to find a microphone, I'm going to find a lectern, and I'm going to find a Bible, and I'm going to start preaching. That's what Paul and his crew says. And that's what they do. We see high expectations also with the women in verse 13. Because the women are the ones gathering, not the men. That's, that's flat out inspiring, but it's also convicting. 
Right? And so Paul, you know, I, I imagine myself coming to a Bible talk, get fired up, I've got a great lesson, and it's women. You're like, man. Not, I mean, I, and I love my wife, and I think, you know, you know what I mean? And women have, I've got to be careful here. You know what I'm saying, bro? But it would, it would, it would just be like, oh, you know, but they preach the word. I don't care who the audience, they don't care who the audience is. They preach the word of God. You see the high expectations of Lydia. And, and I just want to hit the pause button and say, I, I want to build my wife up. She has high expectations about God's word. She's leading the women in a great way. She's doing this Bible talk every week, getting deep into the word of God. The women are getting fired up and it's awesome. Why? Because she has a high expectation of God's word. And I see the women catching fire. And I see the women really getting excited. And you know what? For us that are married... We need to let our wives have the door of communication because here, Lydia, man, she takes a stand. She has a high expectation and she's influential. And I just want to say that if you're a married, you have to have a door for your wife to influence your life. Yep. She wants the best for you. She shouldn't be afraid to bring things up to you. She should have open doors of communication. It took me a ye- years to understand this, but it's so valuable. It's so valuable. And it's very quiet for the men. <laughs> We need to say amen to that. We need to say amen to that. And if you're single, every time I mention marriage, the single brothers always say, so the point is get married. That's not the point, Gillen. That's not the point, Chris. That's not the point, Peter. All right? But you see these high expectations of Lydia. She's, she's a dealer of purple cloth. That's what verse 14 says. That's a sign of wealth. The region has resources to provide this. Her home, she invites them into their home. There's four of them. So she at least has enough room to house them. She's unlikely married because that would, uh, she has the space for that. She's most likely a widow. So, and, and she's high expectation. Man, look at this woman. This is the Apostle Paul. If you consider me a believer, that you know, stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So there was this kind of, hey, I want you guys to stay. Uh, I'm not sure it's the best idea, blah, blah, blah. If you consider me a disciple, you better stay at my house. Okay, fair enough. We'll stay. Now, that's a high expectation, right? And, and you see this all throughout the past. There's no coincidence that when you read the book of Philippians, that you find this where Paul says, Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. What is that saying? Paul goes on these missionary journeys. He needs money. Who helps him? The church in Philippi. Who was the first convert in Philippi? Lydia. What was she like? Hospitable and generous. What is the church like? Hospitable and generous. Where do you need to go, Paul? We'll help you. That's a high expectation set by this woman. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is Paul challenging other churches in the region. We want you to know about the grace of God is given to the Macedonian churches. Philippi, one of the Macedonian churches. In the midst of their very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, welled up in rich generosity. I testify they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Why? I mean, there's got to be some connection. The very first convert is this hospitable, generous woman, and it spreads because she had a high expectation. Like Paul does, like these women, amen, we need to have high expectations. I'm going to skip the illustration and go straight to the application of this. 
We all need to have high expectations in discipleship. Jesus has very high expectations. I want you to leave everything and follow me. Don't forget following Jesus has a lot of high expectations involved. Don't forget that he says don't idolize anything. Your family, your kids, your career, if you idolize it, it's not going to work. I have a high expectation. You got to give up everything. Plus you got to be ready to die. Man, those are high expectations. And as, and as individuals and as a church, we can never lower these and say, oh, it's okay if you don't do this. And okay, uh, you know, this. we got to have high expectations of discipleship. Yeah. High expectations of evangelism. High expectations of sharing our faith. High expectations of coming to church because church is the body of Christ. We're all brothers and sisters. And there should be a high expectation of that. Yeah. High expectation of giving and serving. The Ronald McDonald House Project is awesome. But guess what? It's the same faces. Almost every year. On, There's a few new this year. That was awesome. Ramal was in the kitchen. Awesome. And Ramal's singing in the mic. To the, you know, he's singing in his prayers. And, but I'm saying, not everyone was there. And we've done it a few times. Come on, Everybody needs to pitch in. We all need to have this high expectation. It just can't be a few people, but the whole church says, here's the standard of Jesus, and that's the way we're going to live. As we conclude, this passage is awesome. It traces the missionary journey of Paul and his companions, but individually and collectively, we all have to lower ourselves. There's a higher purpose. People need to hear the gospel. We need to love each other and be united. Let's pray, use the Bible and our fellowship to discern God's will. And let's raise the expectations. You raise yours of what it means to be a disciple. And let the church as a whole raise ours. And as we're strengthened, our church will grow as well. Amen. Amen.